I've lost all words. Sometimes words go out of my head at the moment. I remembered it before I found it. Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rulebook and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on The Real Work Podcast, our guest is Ashanti Bentildew, an equity and inclusion practitioner with a background in law who decided to leave city and a a job, a heavy hitting job in compliance in Canary Wharf and go it alone into an industry which was, you know, quite new at the time. Um, I hope you enjoy her conversation. Welcome, Ashanti. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Is that trepidatious? We, um, <laughs> you usually, um, your appearances are quite meaty and on this yes. one at the real work podcast we like to sort of bounce subjects around so we uh, okay. you won't you won't get a grilling today shanti but you might get a uh-huh. ribbing <laughs> that's probably it's pretty much bold. how we roll isn't it <laughs> it's um it's lovely to have you here and i first um discovered you on linkedin and we were chatting back and forwards and we we're kind of you're kind of in my um orbit and then you did a LinkedIn live, and it super connected us. It's it quite did. good that it it's did. quite good that LinkedIn live. I think so, and it, I mean, obviously, I'm sure the feature will continue to be evolved and updated by LinkedIn specifically. But I think it's really useful for kind of connecting in a very um, engaging way with your connections. I think it's useful for the subject that we're talking about before so just to frame it for our listeners you are an equity and inclusion practitioner but you have a background in law and compliance so you have been working in this area in a very particular way which is sort of evidence-based and systems-based for quite a while and then lots of other um voices describing themselves as sort of expert voices in this area have appeared um, in response to the events of the last couple of years with Black Lives Matter and white people like me suddenly rushing around trying to um, educate ourselves and hand-wringing and education and unlearning. And I would be really interested to hear how that has been for you. Sure. I mean, look, for the industry, it's fantastic because this needs to be a conversation that is ever ongoing. And so it's really important that we have more voices, as many voices as possible, talking about the importance of really what diversity, equity and inclusion means, specifically in the workplace and business environment. So for me, as a practitioner and coach, that's been really positive. 
I also think we then need to really ensure that we do have standards because ultimately um, at the very end of it, you have very real people who are sitting in organizations as employees who are impacted in one way or another um, you know, by the initiatives, the strategies and the advice that organizations are given. So that's where my work comes in, which you alluded to earlier, which is really about opening up an honest conversation in the industry about, okay, are we evidence and research-based? Are we doing the work as those who are providing a service, a paid service to organizations to make, it, to make sure that we're credible, to make sure that we're ethical and that we do hold ourselves accountable? Ashanti, I led out with a provocative question and you gave me an extremely professional and measured response. And that's why you're you. I wonder if what we're talking about as well is the difference between um, sort of activism and, and policy. Is that is that kind of that's what we're doing, isn't it? Because some of these voices are activist voices and you're a voice of um, strategy and policy and evidence. Yes, you could. Look, you're, you're absolutely right. You've identified definitely, I think, one of the types of voices we see in this space, which is that of the activist. And then we also have people who are just supporters, which are really important. We then have people who are influencers. So they're using their platform, uh, you know, to reach their audience. We then have those who are actually consultants and practitioners in the space. And you're quite right. You've picked up on the nuance between, for example, an activist in any space and a consultant. You know, activists, generally speaking, are not unbiased. They have and embrace a particular ideology, and that is what they are active in, you know, trying to drive change for. The question is whether those methodologies really work within the workplace environment. When you've got real employees, you've got a HR function, do those methodologies of protest and disruption, for example, really work in the workplace setting and actually have positive, tangible impact on employees? And so, yes, um, you know, I think there's a conversation to be had about the different players in the conversation and who should be offering paid services to organisations. And also there's a responsibility lies with people like me in terms of as a community leader for you know who i hire and who whose voice i amplify in what way so if i just employ my friends who are really excited about this subject and they're not um as measured as you then i'm part of the problem well the, 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 re, the reality is many people don't know there is a problem, right, until they don't necessarily get what they were expecting or they're not seeing the changes yeah. they, they want. And, and this is why, you know, it's not actually anybody's fault per se, right? This is a noisy <laughs> space, essentially. And so we need to help people identify who the experts are for a particular thing. So, for example, as a community leader, if you want to inspire your community, you can ask anybody to come and speak. If you want to educate them, though, that might be the point at which you think, okay, who is actually an expert in this particular topic? Because they will take into account all of the other aspects of education in terms of creating psychologically safe spaces, you know, um, making sure that the information is relevant, accurate, up to date. For example, you know, we're based in the UK. The George Floyd murder happened in the US. And what we see is a flooding of data, statistics, 
information that is really US-based and centric. So when we're talking about the broad issue, yes, of systemic inequality, it might well be relevant. But the UK context is still different. So what we saw is people using US facts and figures and misapplying them, for example, in the UK setting. And that doesn't really work very well. So it is about understanding as a community leader what you actually want to give to your audience, inspiration, aspiration or education. Such a good answer, Bokas, wasn't it? A brilliant answer, considering I led out with a privileged white question centering myself. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of say, and you had to begin your answer by saying, yes, well, it's no, we're not really talking about whose fault it is. And we better answer. Old habits die hard. It's just like, oh, maybe, maybe it's on me. Maybe. No, not at all. I mean, it's not a question of fault. I mean, this industry is so new. It really is emerging as an industry. It's what HR was pointing That's years. true. And that's a, a good starting place, isn't it? For everyone to just say, Okay, we're all we're all making mistakes, and like we just have to keep paying attention and um, keep yeah reassessing the situation. You um, tell tell us some about your events background and how 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 that came about. (laughs) Absolutely. So you know, look, events are just great ways of connecting people, essentially. And so back in my banking days, when I first took on these diversity, equity and inclusion tasks as a desk, kind of side desk job, apart from my actual real day job, the common sense thing I thought was to run the events. So around certain awareness months, we would run events and invite colleagues along, bring in interesting speakers, we'd work a lot with local schools. I really pushed for that because... Although the banking you know, sector, for example, if you think about Canary Wharf, it's very close to South London, for example. It's very close to many areas where there is actually some kind of diversity, but it rarely, really works with any of those communities. So uh, there's an alarm coming off in the building. So it should stop in a minute, hopefully. If you need to evacuate, we would. If you need to evacuate, we would definitely like you to evacuate. <laughs> Love how unalarmed we all are by alarms now. <laughs> oh, it's just an alarm to alert us to some kind of emergency problem. It'll go off in a minute. Imminent mortal danger. Yeah, it'll go off. The emergency will go away. <sighs> yeah, that's that's the roof coming off alarm. Oh, it'll stop in a minute. Once the roof is fully off, I tell you what, aren't you glad for central heating at the moment? Oh, oh my gosh. gosh and I got my uh, my hot water bottle that nice. I've had since it, I was a put baby. Put the ears down, put the ears down at the back. It's a jacket potato. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> this is bedtime bunning. Keeping nice. my torso warm since 1990. <laughs> Sorry, so I am working from Italy this week. And, oh, um, you're in Italy? I am in Italy. And so in the, um, I chose the quietest hotel to work from for the week. But they said this is just a security check that happens every week and it will stop in a minute. I just rang the reception. In um, the small talk, while the alarm's yeah. been going on, has included jacket potatoes and also rabbits. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> So that that was the um, that was the intra podcast chit chat while your Italian alarm was beeping. 
let's um, let's bring our conversation back into focus. It was um, it was really interesting. You were telling us about your life and events and how it came out of your career working at Canary Wharf and having a sort of side interest in DEI work and. I'm interested to hear what happened. Sure, absolutely. With COVID yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, I, you know, when I was in banking, I was young, uh, probably very naive, to be fair. And I was the only black 22-year-old on the floor, in a whole floor of bankers and compliance consultants. Um, and I got used to going to meetings and being the only black person. But what I would say I've always observed very early on is that it's not an environment that is used to difference, essentially, at all. I'm not very conscious of what it means, essentially, to embrace difference, to experience anything outside of that particular norm, accepted norm at that. And that really did impact my experience of that corporate environment. In fact, I ended up leaving that environment to start my diversity, equity and inclusion business. And what that became was a hybrid of hosting, arranging diverse events for companies because I understood that they didn't really know how to do that. So for many years, that's what we did. We built community, we created networks within and partnered with organisations that were really about diversity, equity and inclusion, um, mainly across the strands of, of gender, and then, of course, um, on intersectionality, gender and race combined. Now, when COVID came along, um, it really didn't make any difference. You know, when I started my business six years ago, I had no marketing budget. And therefore, using live streaming tools that were available back then were, were essential. That's how I built the audience that we had as a business. And that's how I acquired clients. So when COVID came along, that move into virtual, for example, we'd been using many of these tools for many years anyway. But what it did allow us to do was reach more people all of the time. And so our audience obviously kind of quadrupled in terms of who we were able to invite and who would actually attend live virtual events. And when you say we, who is Yeah, that's a really good question. So we were a team of five. Um, and so, yeah, as a, as a business, we had five um, employees and we just ran and managed all of these events, essentially. And that is that when you did, I, I'm interested in your research, your white paper. Can you tell us about that? And if you did that through the business or if that, again, was just sort of a side. Yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting that you're asking these questions because essentially my business is me. Right, and my core values are diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's so important in everything that I do. So it's a great question. I thought I believed there was a need to talk about black women and the lack thereof of data and studies on black women in the workplace in the UK. Through all the work I was doing, the environments I was going into, there were black women there, but they weren't being included in any white papers, any reports around gender. We had the release of the book Lean In. And that really didn't speak to black women's experience in the workplace at all. Proceed. 
let's just style it out, Shanti. That's oh, what we normally do. In fact, what kind of interruptions have we had in the past? We have had kids, postmen, rabbits, weather storms, all kinds. As long as it doesn't disturb you, I'm happy to continue. No, no, we're relaxed. We're relaxed. And, and so, what we found was a need really to start gathering some data, understanding the experience of black women in the UK, particularly Gen Z and millennial black women. Because in you know, three to five years, they will make up, Gen Z and millennials in general will make up 75% of the workforce. And so we saw that these organizations were missing a trick, essentially. They could be unlocking up to £24 billion in the UK economy if only they invested in black talent. Okay? So that's how that white paper came about, because I'd done all of this research, was using it in my work, in the events that we were creating, and I needed to put that research all into kind of one compact place. And so that's why the white paper became the white paper, essentially. Do you know what a white paper is, Buckers? It's, yes, it's a, um, I mean, no. It's, I half, I half do. do. It's, some, it's like a study, <laughs> isn't it? Okay. And it's a... We half do. Yeah. So between us, we know, but individually, oh, so we, we half do. A white know. paper is usually a research report based on something very specific, essentially, usually very kind of niche, whereby the company or the person who's produced it has researched the topic and is just presenting their findings and recommendations in what is called a white paper, essentially. And it, these days it, To companies or to, or to government? It can be both. So you, absolutely. So the government even produces white papers. You know, take, for example, COVID-19. There are numerous now research papers on various aspects of COVID-19 that would have come from the government and departments within the government, but also brands, any company can produce a white paper. Any consultant can produce a white paper. I think we need to make a white paper, Buckers, a real one. <laughs> it's a great piece of uh, content because you only have to produce it once. You know, we only update the white paper annually. We then use various parts of its content for social media, for work with clients. So it is a really solid and very good credibility building piece of content. It's um, one of the reasons I'm so interested in this conversation and your work is that there are similarities in what we're doing in yeah. real work. And we kind of came about, we came into it by accident. You spoke about um, your experience in Canary Wharf and what you observed and I was working in industry as a female founder, and so I had my own lived experience of. Um, I mean, I hate. I don't. I don't mean, don't mean to use the word sexism because I don't see myself as an activist. But um, yeah, inequity, yeah. let's say. And um, so, the work that we're doing in real work, being able to firmly plant that in the world world of evidence and um, systems and um, yeah guidelines it feels more impactful because what we're after is impact yeah. isn't it exactly absolutely and and it's just to i always say you know it's not about changing people ironically because people have the capacity to change themselves so it's about just facilitating thinking essentially you need to get yes. people to start thinking for themselves and then they will decide for themselves what changes or adjustments if any they want to make and how they want to show up and contribute to us having a better kind of society, better communities and better, you know, teams within workplaces. And it's about taking this stuff out of how we're feeling. 
So, you know, I'm the thing, you know, the joke about me centering myself and trying to learn to change, you know, sort of like, oh, how I'm feeling about if I've done this right or wrong. I'm moving towards um, our practices, which I've, you know, getting help. You know, we have a, a system within real work that, you know, we, we that we're led through that, that makes things things better we had um we had a speaker in real work recently who's the head of change at nhs england and he was talking about um working with um gen z and millennials and it was it was quite a kind of a clickbaity title because he was he sort of presents it a bit like sort of how to understand you know and and he basically turns it round and says you know all the tropes about how difficult and unreasonable yeah. they are is just nonsense and the problem is ours and we need to change. And he talked about um, recruitment and how um, removing like people's um, ages or education or names from recruitment applications so that they could just be, um, so that there was more of a meritocracy in that application process. There's sort of practical things that companies can action very quickly um, that can make changes towards equity in big companies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you see, the hardest piece here is those are great things to to look at in terms of your processes and systems. They're a great start and they are essential. However, we know that the, the, the real hard piece comes in when you're talking about culture, you know, the culture of an organisation. Because if people are still following those processes with reticence, you know, sceptical and cynical um, about those processes and their value, then we still kind of end up with the same results, essentially. And so it's really important for these individuals, these stakeholders within organisations, to be actively monitoring and trying to change the culture within the organisation as well. It, it's um, And sometimes it's... Um... What's interesting about your work is that it's impactful because you are able to speak the language and understand the organisations because you've been yeah. in them. So I, I um, about six months ago, I listened into a really interesting panel discussion within the advertising industry, um, talking about how you could achieve more gender diversity in advertising on yeah. TV. And lots of people there spoke up and they're impassioned and upset and we're talking about how we can make ad men care. And then um, one speaker who's actually a friend of mine, which is the reason I was in the um, session, just gave financial metrics saying, if you if you do this and this and this, this is how you, you know, you'll increase sales and your ads will be worth more money. And, you know, that there's that push and pull, isn't there, of you know, go, going in at each end. That's something I've heard you talk about, push and yes, pull. Absolutely. And, and this is where the different types of voices in the overall conversation come in yeah. handy. And so that's why all the voices are important. We just need to know who they are and people need to know who they are so they can contribute at the most impactful touch point for them. And so you're right, that push and pull means sometimes you need that kind of broader um, more aspirational content coming through on our, you know, content channels, coming through at the top of the organisation during events, etc. But then you also need the push from those who are actually consultants and experts and practitioners in the space who will get the work done, who will hold people accountable. 
when they do, you know, feel nudged by something more aspirational or inspiration. And that's that kind of push and pull of using activism, using, as I say, thought leadership, using experts to bring the conversation along. And using data. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Using data. Uh, The trouble with data, I think we're going to see very interesting developments in the space in this industry when it comes to data, because we see lots of companies now who may have been collecting data on other metrics like sustainability, corporate social responsibility, now adding a bow to this, uh, a string to their bow rather, where the data is focused on diversity, equity and inclusion. And there's quite a few companies who are now just starting to think, how can we contribute to, you know, the need to gather data and the need to use it in the boardroom, for example. The, um, we're just going into a round of fundraising at Real Work and the data bolt or bolt-ons that we've sort of, um, it's taken us really a year to understand what the project does and for whom and how it works and to sort of anchor it into certain data points. And it's it's extremely satisfying and very much sort of beginning of um, of doing that and being able to, say that we know that businesses with women in their leadership um, create 27% more social value. Now, that's just great to know because that's just like, you know, here it is. It's not me who says it. You know, it's the UK Treasury says it. Here it is. Um, It's really helpful in those conversations where we're facing that kind of pushback because it, it, it feels good to be, to be, up leveling the conversation around that. Is Ashanti, isn't your job really tiring? Is it like mentally draining? Do you know what I mean? Are you, do you feel that, Buckers, when you hear about this? It's inc- it's so interesting, but we visit it in short. I visit these conversations, like go really deep, and then I sort of retreat and there's lots of other, other stuff, but you're very in it. How does that feel? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think as a human being, absolutely, it is tiring. It is. It, there is. There is labour. Absolutely, as a human being, to consistently be noticing inequity and having to point that out, having to explain and help people reason. As I say, nudge people's thinking quite often because you know it's not all of the time. It is challenging. I mean, I will say, for example, I can't watch a show on TV without noticing <laughs> diversity and equity inclusion related stuff, right? Um, I can't read the yeah. newspaper without noticing something. So my whole, I guess my whole life sometimes is uh, one of analysis and, and noticing things. However, as a practitioner, when I'm in role, and this is one of the things I'm trying to encourage other practitioners and consultants to do, much like those who are therapists and counsellors, you need supervision. Go have a network yes, with someone yes, yes. where you go along and you talk about your work, you talk about you and how the work is impacting you. And that keeps you balanced. It sense checks you to make sure that you're not running on you know, no fuel in your work, but also you're not relying, as we all do, is going back into bad habits or and or relying on our own opinion or lived experience in the work that we do. So one of the ways I keep fresh and I kind of alert in my actual day job is by using supervision, is by having a coach, is by do, doing peer-to-peer sense checking as well. And that keeps me, 
you know, as I say, fresh in the work I do. But as an individual, absolutely, the work is tiring because, unfortunately, our lives, our, our communities are riddled with inequity. What do you do for fun? Well, I'm a big traveller, um, love music. I'm currently waiting for Adele to announce some concert dates here in the UK. So I'm a big live music person, big traveller, and I do read a lot as well. Do you plan um, big trips or do you just little and often? What's your travelling MO? That's a really good question because obviously the pandemic has hugely changed yeah. uh, my patterns. Yeah. I would say I'm a bit of both. So um, I do go on big trips usually with family. Those are, tend to be pre-planned periodically. So every couple of years as a family, the whole family goes away on holiday together. So those are usually the planned big trips. And then I am more of the little and often person where I would just pick and choose countries that I'd like to visit. Um, obviously, at the moment, that, that is um, you have to plan a lot for that. But that's what I usually do when it comes to travel. The um, last week, our guest on the Real Work podcast was a woman who, on a romantic whim, when she was on a date, um, purchased a farm in the Galapagos Islands. wonderful. (laughs) And she told the story, all the ins and outs. A lot of it was very beautiful and romantic, and a lot of it was quite terrifying. Yeah, yeah. um, But now she's got this kind of safari camp in the Galapagos Islands and said, oh, maybe we should go. Why not? So, um, why not? (laughs) Why not? Well, about... Probably about ten grand. <laughs> so that's a small. There's a, that small reason, <laughs> and apart from the fact that I haven't flown for about five years, but apart from that, we got. I mean, you it know, we put it on the vision board or whatever they say. It could be a real what work retreat, right? It could be a real work retreat in the making. <laughs> oh, that's too funny, Shanti, because we did do a real. Flo, work won't retreat, let us have a retreat. It was the opposite. <laughs> won't retreat from anything. And um, we did Camp Real Work um, recently as an experiment in events. Crikey events. Oh, Shanti. Getting uh, getting accessibility and diversity within events. I mean, I did one one attempt and I made an absolute bungle of it. I can tell you. I It just, oh, God, I'm embarrassed. I said, I looked on. Airbnb and everything was on the ground floor, including bathrooms. So I was like, yeah, it's accessible. It's accessible. No, it was so cheap. All the concrete was broken. You couldn't get in and out. And I hadn't done a recce. I think, I mean, and as well, we have Real Works International. So we've got people in different countries. We've got some people who um, have disposable income and no commitments. We have some who have got, you know, carers and kids. So I don't think it's possible to do something for real work that has equity, like in real life. I think we're destined to stay virtual. I don't know. Well, that's an interesting comment you make. Look, it is a challenge. However, it's not about perfection. So one of the things Uh... you can do is talk to your community, find out what the actual significant actual deal breakers are when it comes to accessibility, first of all, and then secondly, the diverse and inclusive elements that may make up part of your event. And once you've actually covered what the critical pieces are for them, then you'll be fine. It's not about perfection. Like, what do you need in order to attend? What do you have to have in order to attend? What would you like to have in order to attend? Buck is is not mentioning the fact that on our wish list here, everyone's wishes at Camp Railway probably would have been to have wardrobes that didn't smell of mold, which we did have. 
um, mattresses that didn't have sort of spiky bits sticking up, <laughs> an oven that had worked. That probably would have been quite high. We had one small oven for everyone, and um, we basically just had it cooking jacket potatoes around well, the clock. 24-7. One of the things that I've got in the pipeline, which and it's really brilliant that we're talking about this, actually, is actually to have a retreat property. Um, that focuses on hosting diversity, equity, and inclusion communities. Oh, we're yes, in, we're in. Yes, to us. Yes. about that because that's one of the things in the pipeline yes. for me. I'm like, I would love that there would be a space where people can come away, host events, experiences, um, away days, training, etc. But inherently, we're modelling these kind of diverse and equitable events ascents um, that, that are happening in this space. So I think that's brilliant. But the thing is, you can't be too hard on yourself now. I mean, if you're making an Airbnb booking, some days you just have no idea. I'm here in Italy with colleagues, and obviously I booked a hotel, but other people booked Airbnbs, and they've had similar, very challenging experiences when they've arrived um, You know, at the, at the property, and it looks nothing like it was portrayed online. It just happens, essentially, and they're having to make do. Ours look, ours look nothing like it. <laughs> I can tell you, actually, like the accessibility point, and I've been making jokes all week, actually, just chuckling to myself. So I am plus size, um, which is always interesting when you're travelling. So I'm used to my actual body, of course. Um, and what I would say is that certain <laughs> European countries are not primed for fat people at all. Um, mm. Because, uh, for example, this week, twice... I've had the experience of going to a hotel and the bathroom is tiny. The door doesn't even open. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah, yeah, when they go, it's so far towards the toilet that you have to kind of jump over the toilet in order to shut Mm. the door. Um, And so it happens, right? And I chuckle to myself about it, the showers. And the robes, the bathrobes, they're not one size fits all. Exactly. <laughs> That's a really good At one. At all. They're not. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, look, all of those details, and the irony is, I mean, I know, I, I chuckle about these things, but I know that the average person is still bigger than that robe, you know. So it's not as if you're way yeah. out of proportion. It's like, I do wonder who is actually wearing these robes, who is able to get into this toilet, who is able to get into the shower, you know, to shower, much less actually being if you have a physical mobility issue. I mean, the walking that I did from the airport to get to the hotel, which is on the airport complex, again, I chuckled to myself because although I'm plus size, I'm perfectly healthy. Um, But I wondered if you do have a mobility issue, what's that experience like for you? And it's different for everyone, isn't it? One of the things that I've been learning through our community and some um, and some work around this stuff is that not everyone with motor neuron disease needs the same thing. Not everyone um, who is partially sighted needs the same thing. Everyone's just different, and everyone needs and some and people will need different things. If you have a chronic illness, Absolutely. for example, people will need different things on different days, and that was you know, so not being. So I think we can want to put things in a box as well. Look, this is suitable for this person or this is, you know, we welcome plus size women because, you know, our toilet cubicles are bigger. Well, it might mean that you need, we need something else or not, or something to happen or something not to happen. It it goes into that data, doesn't it, about the world being built for certain people. Yeah, absolutely. But also you can be pragmatic as a community leader, as an event organiser. I think the wonderful thing, obviously, about real work, where I've observed a lot of the content and I've looked around, 
is that you have a connection, a genuine, authentic connection with your community. And therefore, you don't have to shy away or guess. You can ask them, what do you need? And then you can create according to that, whereas there's other communities that aren't so connected. And so that conversation is awkward. You know, to start the conversation is awkward because they've never asked before or they're not sharing other things that could be similarly quite personal. Does that make sense? And so you're in a great position because of that. That came about, Shanti, kind of by accident in that when I started Real Work, it didn't really have a name or a mission or anything. It was quite spontaneous. Uh, Sort of, oh, let's work together. You know, come on, I'm going to lead. Let's go off and do this. And people came on board and I said at the beginning, what what do you need? Let's co-create this. And so the idea of it being a work in progress meant that constant revision was just part of the process and people kind of accepted that because I put that in the shop window everyone knew that they didn't come in and expect it all to be ready made and I'm really grateful that people were able to be that um you know have to have that sort of growth mindset together and the other thing was when the whole Black Lives Matter stuff happened after George Floyd's, Floyd's murder when that happened I had been on Instagram just recently. So I'd been off social media and then I was really on it and I was really experimenting with it and I was on every day. That stuff happened. And I realised very quickly that there was an enormous gap in my knowledge, experience, vision. I mean, and I really kept kind of kept quiet and thought, okay, wow, we're getting, you know, this this is really outside. I, I don't have anything to say about this at the moment. And I did um, some training with the other box. And the first thing straight out of the gates on their entry level allyship in the workplace training was basically the idea, yes, you are racist. Like, let's just not have that conversation. It's fine. Mm. This is what we're going to do about it together. So instead of that, you know, going into that defensive thing of, look, I'm not racist. Look, I, you know, it just wipes that off the table straight away and just says, it's fine. We all are. all in different ways, you know, and so this is about knowing yourself and knowing your unconscious bias. And, and and that kind of really helped just from the beginning of saying, okay, that's not what we're debating. Mm. What we're debating is kind of what we're going to do about it. And I took that into real work and I just said, look, this is where I am and let's just work, you know, working, working in the open. Yeah. It's, it's a great relief though, Shanti, because you don't have to be perfect. Oh. You don't have to be, you don't have to get everything right. And you get picked up all the time. I made a slip with some money. I charged someone's, card today on an automatic thing by accident and um they emailed me and said oh maybe you know there's been a, a you know technical mistake or you know a, a tech mistake or one of your team and to be able to say pick up the phone and just say yeah it wasn't one of my team that was me on me and this is what I'm going to do to make sure it doesn't happen and this is what I'm going to do oh, to say sorry yeah. it just is this easier isn't it to live like that well absolutely it's funny actually because i was just thinking that's probably one of the reasons why we've probably been attracted to each other again so many years later through content because i think in order to develop as a person you need to be self-aware and you need to be open to being self-aware and we don't always know where that journey will take us because you know when you just kind of relayed the you know the training and how you know it starts from the premise that we're all racist period 
But there do, it does take a certain type of person who is open to self-awareness to accept that. There are many people who never get past that point because they are still stuck on accepting that they might be racist or sexist or any of the other isms that might exist. And it's because they lack self-awareness and they lack the courage to really go there and acknowledge maybe areas of development or weaknesses that exist in all of us as human beings. It's not unique to one set of people. It's not unique, for example, to whiteness, which really irritates me, goes back to why I'm doing this work now. Because this kind of diversity, equity and inclusion uh, topic has kind of been, you know, pinned on the back of all white people. It's their problem. And so this is the lens through which we need to look at everything. So I thought it was really interesting when we talked about that. And then actually, I can absolutely relate to you about apologising. It's something I do all the time with clients, with people I work with. It does not take anything from me to acknowledge when I have made a mistake. Yeah. For me, I find it empowering because what happens then is that the, 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 the connection, the relationship, the rapport is so much more real and authentic after that because the other person knows that I am somebody who is self-aware. I am somebody who can have a conversation about something I don't do, didn't do particularly well, and can still move through it myself, but can find a way to move through it with other people. And I think that's incredibly um, important as a community leader. Don't underestimate that, Fleur. Well, that's made me feel good. No, it's true. I mean, one of the main reasons that CEOs are being challenged right now is because they, they, they seem to lack self-awareness. They don't want to acknowledge. The Fawcett Society says that one, is it 1% of women in power, of, pe- of people in power, leaders in power are white, are black women. That's why I, said, I, I just was watching that thing that you did before that and there was a data yeah. point from the Fawcett Society in the Sex and Power Report, yeah. is it? So it's 1% of those power positions are held by women of colour. That means any non-white women, which means for black women in the UK, there isn't a percentage. Oh, God. Right? When you dig deep into that data, the 1% data, those are non-white women. Okay, so they could be Chinese, Malaysian, Asian, and when we say Asian, East Asian, South Asian, etc. But black women do not have a percentage. Okay. Not at the moment, not until you finish with them, until you've sorted out the data and we've moved the dial a bit. What's your ambition? We're, we're running out of time, unfortunately. What's your ambition for your business? Tell us a bit about it now. Absolutely sure. So Good Soil Leaders is essentially a leadership and coaching company that we are seeking to be the best quality leadership and coaching uh, company that focuses exclusively on training diversity, equity and inclusion service providers. Okay, so if you are a consultant practitioner of any size and you are offering paid services to organizations, we have training that is hybrid in its nature. It's not theoretical, conceptual, aspirational. It is based on the reality of working in this space, making sure that you have standards of delivery, standards of service, and that there are some core skills that every transformational leader in this space needs, such as being able to lead and facilitate an uncomfortable conversation, being able to coach CEOs and key stakeholders within an organization so they can carry forward this work without you. Okay, We cannot have people codependent. We can't have organizations codependent and being spoon-fed. 
the whole time. We need to make sure in our work, we're equipping them with the skills they need to make their workplace a better place for everybody in it. So that's what we do at Good Soil Leaders. As you can imagine, the name speaks for itself. It's a training program I've had for many years, an analogy that tends to connect with people. Good soil, you know, you need the right nutrients. There's no point in planting seeds before the soil is healthy. And what we find is, is that everybody is kind of rushing towards fixing and solutions when they don't even have a structured foundational understanding of people and what the actual issues are. So we're about creating good soil within organisations and within the stakeholders carrying out this work. It sounds, um, it's, it's great. It's great to, to hear more about it. You're in Italy at the moment, just before we lose you. I, um, what are you, um, what have you got planned in Italy? Any um, little sightseeing? Yes, so some sightseeing is being done. I went to the Pantheon yesterday afternoon, which is really, really interesting. The Colosseum as well is it's actually really impressive in person. Um, I was quite surprised. Um, and just enjoying really a bit of the culture. It's been raining here. Um, but it actually, it's made for quite an interesting trip, to be honest. You can just kind of chill out and relax um, and kind of take your time and, you know, plod on through the, the streets of Italy. Are you going to go to the Vatican? I probably won't on this occasion. Have you been um, before? I time to fit that in. I haven't, It's really actually. weird. Have you been to the Vatican, Buckers? I have, actually. It's quite strange, yeah. isn't it? It's just yeah, like... when I was little. Oh, I can give you the highlights so you don't have to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine <laughs> a, a sort of a childlike dream of some kind of like Alibaba's cave of opening a door onto a world of splendor where you would eat your breakfast out of a Fabergé egg and the, um, every mirror encrusted with gold and works of art. And it's just, it's just un- extraordinary. It's just like a place that is so, your eyes can't even see the artworks and the sculptures and the architecture in the end, because there's so much of it. It's wow. like drinking gallons and gallons of cream or like ice melted ice cream or something. You're just, it was overwhelming. And wow. as you can hear from my voice, I don't really approve of it. It was quite, quite <laughs> also simultaneously weirdly repulsive. That's what I found. Wow. I was livid that there was no gift shop, so that's my review. There's no gift shop. <laughs> we um we went there on a school trip, a school choir. They loaded us on the coach and they drove us to the Vatican and we were in this massive room and we got to sing for the Pope. He was wheeled on about a kilometre away in the distance inside this hall and every choir that was there got their moment to sing for him for about three minutes. Oh. If um, you got that opportunity, what would you sing? That's a good question. Um... <laughs> uh, we sang, shall I tell you what we sang? Yeah. <laughs> a medley of Beatles hits. Everyone else was was Catholics, they'd come from like Uruguay and everything and they were all singing Ave Maria and stuff like that. And we were like, the long and winding road. It was great. (laughs) We didn't know what was going on. I I didn't really know who the Pope was, to be honest, in those days. I probably would have, a few years later, I would have been a bit more um, reactive. I would have given the Pope a piece of my mind probably. But um, yeah, we were too young and we were there for the gelatos and, um, yes. you know, 
the coach trip. Absolutely. I hope you have a super time. If there's a gift shop, bring something back for Buckers. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure. We look forward to seeing you again. If people want to follow your work, what should they do, Ashanti? As always, just come and find me on LinkedIn. That's the place to come and find me. There isn't more than one Ashanti on LinkedIn, so just type me in and uh, connect with. Great. Thank you so much for being our guest. Goodbye. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 